Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. This is Jody. I'm here today sitting across the table from Maggie Chaffardini. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Jody. Maggie's the CEO of her own consulting business called Maggie Chaffardini Inc. Is that right? That's it. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's been, I'm really excited. It's so, always fun to talk about me. <laughs> we're um, in New York City now in a studio. And um, why don't you just start with telling us how you spent your day today? Uh, well, I had a lot of errands to do and a lot of phone calls to make and a lot of emails. The thing about consulting is that you kind of never know where the day's going to take you. It just takes you. And um, I didn't think I would like it, but I find now that I love it. I um, think of my days the same way. It's like there's no... There's no um, day that's the same. Every day is really different. This morning, I took my daughter and dropped her off at camp. She's going to sewing camp, so she's learning how to use a sewing machine, which is pretty cool. And then just phone calls and phone calls, and then it was like, oops, got to go hop on a train. Right. I, did, I did have a technology moment in AT&T, which is, was unpleasant, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we won't discuss. <laughs> Thank God no one's hired me for my technology skills, because that wouldn't work. Um, my company's IT person is my husband, who like at night helps us. Like, I understand. So. Um, so you and I first met at Women's Wear Daily Beauty Summit. Correct. Thanks to Allison Slater. So thank you, Allison. Um, and... What's so cool about it is what I'm having so much fun in this business doing, which is meeting people, um, connecting with people, people um, that I either thought and dreamed of meeting or never even knew existed, and they become like really important to me. And um, this kind of sharing and community building is what kind of fuels me every day. Um, it's fine. It's what I'm finding to be most exciting about running my business. And you have a similar kind of experience meeting a lot of people every day. Um, what gets you going when you meet new people? And well, you, you know, community? it's funny you say that because even though I'm selling lipstick all my life, to me, it's really an, an excuse and an opportunity to meet women, help women, and meet these incredible people. So my journey just continues. And consulting has given me even a broader range of people to meet in different fields. And I really am having the time of my life, to tell you the truth. So tell us what you're currently working on. Well, I, um, I'm, I'm into skincare. I love skincare. And I'm working with a company called BioEffect, which is an Iceland-based skincare company. And they've been around for six or seven years. And they're in Harrods and they're about to close Colette's and Bon Marche and really cool stores all over the world. And they feel ready now to join the U.S., and see um, how we can, you know, platform this brand here. So I've been helping them and working with them, and I'm the only person here to help them. So I'm kind of doing everything. And uh, we got them into Neiman's and Bergdorf's and a few doors in Cosbar, and we're launching in October. So it's really thrilling, and it's high tech skincare, so to speak. Uh -huh. And it's got a, a lot of it's got a great story, and it, and. And most importantly, it works. What do you mean by doing everything? Like, what Well, do I'm mean? doing everything from, um, you know, hiring a freelancer to um, setting a schedule to talking to the CEO of, you know, Neiman's and, you know, everything. So you're a one-man show. And, um, you know, I, I learned long ago to leave my ego at home in my oh, closet. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and you do whatever you have to do, whether it's stuff a shopping bag or, you know, I've been known to, you know, honk out a truck to see if my order was in there. <laughs> so you do whatever you have to do to so get the business going. How did you learn to keep your ego, I get your I guess abolish your ego, right? Hide an ego or dismantle it. I guess being around a lot of people with egos. Uh -huh. <laughs> you learned, well, I can't do that. And you know what I really found? I actually just mentioned this to someone this morning. You you meet a lot of people that teach you how not to be. 
Right. You know, you meet people and you think, oh my God, I hope I never act like that. And then if I ever find myself acting like that, I think, oh, that's just like so-and-so. And And you kind of, you know, reboot and start all over again. Right. That takes a certain level of self-awareness. Probably. like commitment to evolving. I don't know that everybody has that. Oh, well, I think that's why we're here, right? To be the best we can be and... At the end, you got to figure out who you've helped. So I'm waiting for all these beauty advisors to come back <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and give me good references. <laughs> so, um, were there people in your career that were like uh, astounding bosses? Where you you know think about yeah. channeling them? Great bosses and not so great bosses, mm-hmm. but you know you learn from all of them and you learn how to adapt yourself to that person's personality. And you know, one boss in particular was brilliant, but he didn't have a lot of time and he didn't have a lot of patience. So you had to figure out how to talk to him on his way to the men's room, you know, and get what you needed in that 30 seconds. Wow. And so you had to think about, really think about it because in that 30 seconds, if he found a question and said, well, what about this? And if you didn't have the answer, you you were shot down. So you had to go back and restart. So you learned how to think it through before you actually spoke to him. Right, which is a great skill, but I assume you also had to stalk out his office and like wait for that minute. Yes, of course. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't just happened to be in the hallway at the same time. Right. <laughs> so you had a strategy of stalking in addition to a strategy of knowing what the next right. question was and being one right. step ahead. I guess if people would, you know, ask you if you would ask people about me, they would say she's relentless. Um, but I do it with a sense of humor, I hope, and make people laugh as I'm badgering them. So. <laughs> Do you think of yourself as a salesperson in any oh, way? Oh, God, yes. Yes. I mean, I go into Starbucks and I sell the drink, you know. I mean, <laughs> I just sell. In a restaurant, if I'm having a great soup, it's all I can do not to stand up and say to everybody, you've got to try this. This is just amazing. Oh, that's like a scene in Seinfeld where... Um, <laughs> um, one character likes the soup, and she wants to tell the waiter that she likes the soup. And Jerry's like, "What do you think he's going to run back in the kitchen and tell everybody <laughs> right. she loves the soup? Right, right. <laughs> like, does they really care?" Right. I've often asked to send a note to the chef because he, he needs to know how great this uh, is, and um, I just sell whatever you know all the time. Why? I, what do you think motivates you? Well, to do I that? get excited, and if something's really great. I just want everybody to know about it because, you know, you need to try this. It's unbelievable. And, you know, so I'm always selling. And in your career, have you had to sell things that you haven't believed in? Once. <laughs> I learned quickly, oh, my God, you've got to really like what you do. Because I remember there was a clothing company, which I won't name, but um, they shook my hand and they said, you've got the job. And he said, now go down to the factory and get all your clothes. And I looked at him and I said, oh, you mean I have to wear the clothes? Oh man! <laughs> and I knew right then it wasn't going to work, and it didn't. You know, and I would, and I have, I was the VP of sales for half the country, and the and the retailers would come in and I'd have to show the line, and I'd actually pick up something and say, "This isn't so bad." <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so it, yeah, it was not good. How long did that job last? For? Nine nine months, mm-hmm. and then I went back into the cosmetic industry. So was that the only time that you spent outside of cosmetics? No, actually, I started outside of cosmetic, and. Um, you know, it's really funny because anybody that knows me knows my passion is really fashion. Oh, uh-huh. But I love the business of cosmetics. Mm-hmm. And when I started out behind the counter for 15 hours a week selling cosmetics, um, I got really involved with the fashion floor. And one of my clients at the cosmetic counter was a um, on the board of a secretary school. And she told me I should teach a course there, which is in hindsight, unbelievably ridiculous, but I did. And teaching these young girls, of course, I was 25 at the time, teaching these young girls that were 20 what to wear after they graduated and how to look. And so I brought my skincare background and my makeup background. Then I brought my hairdresser in and he did their hair. And I, you know, I talked about fashion. I'd bring my own clothes in. And um, during that time, 
this was in Bloomingdale's um, branch store in, in, in on Long Island, and the fashion coordinator quit. And I went down to my store manager, and I said, look, you don't really know who I am, but I do much more than sell cosmetics. So I want to be the fashion coordinator. And he said, that's ridiculous. You can't be that. That's an executive position. I said, oh, no, yes, I can. I said, do me a favor. Let me do one show, and let me show you what I can do. Because I think there were 9 or 12 shows scheduled from July through September. So he let me do one show. Then I did two shows. And before you knew it, I had done the whole season, still keeping my cosmetic job and my, mm-hmm. and my business up. And then at the end, he introduced me and brought me, told me to go downtown and meet with Marvin Traub, who I met with and who had his feet up on the desk the entire time he interviewed me, which is kind of interesting. And he That's right out of Central Casting, right? Yeah, exactly. So I got the job and I loved that job. I had a little beeper. And they called me, you know, all you know, all day long. Maggie, come down to juniors or come down to here, and you know what's going on the mannequin, and we have to do a show. And um, so, were so, you basically styling the store? Styling the store, doing the boutiques, um, doing the fashion shows. I would go into the city with the buyers and say, "Well, purple really sells in our uh-huh. in our department, so we have to have purple." Um, the Garden City ladies love purple, and um, loved that job. And one day, the um, well, I, you know, I, I started doing seminars in the department about teaching people how to dress, and we would bring in a group like the PTA and, you know, the Junior League and different groups, and I would bring in a rolling rack and talk to them about the 10 most basic items that they need for the right. season, and they ended up buying everything I showed them, and suddenly everybody wanted this Maggie seminar in their mm-hmm. department, and I brought in a cosmetic company, because whenever you're talking about how to dress, you have to finish with the makeup. And the only company that truly ever showed up and was truly professional was Esther Lauder. And so we became the dynamic duo. You know, um, we would go into the departments and we would, you know, sell. And, and I realized then your value is really what kind of revenue you bring. Because as a fashion coordinator, you're just kind of fluffy running around the store, right. not creating revenue. But the minute I started being responsible for bringing in revenue and selling five and $10,000 in an hour, everybody wanted me in their department. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a good guide to how to grow you, how to grow your reputation. Right. And um, one day, the regional from Estee Lauder walked in and said, um, "This is kind of a funny story. I got embarrassed to say, but um, she walked in and she said, you know, you should um, come to the cosmetic side because I've heard so much about you. I can pay you nineteen thousand dollars, eighteen thousand dollars a year as a fashion court, as a, an account coordinator at Estee Lauder." And I said, well, I need 19 because I'm getting a divorce. <laughs> and she said, no, I can't give you that. And she walked, she went down the escalator. I ran after her and said, you know what? I'm going to take it. So <laughs> I've since learned how to negotiate a little uh, bit better than that. But You um, could have gotten her to 20 or 21. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I started out as an account coordinator at Estee Lauder. And before you knew it, I was a regional and account executive. And, you know, hence my career. Right, and always selling. So you're selling your team. You're selling well, your you know, um, when I became the CEO, I mean, you're doing more than selling, although you're always selling on some level. But, you know, you're managing a team and you're selling them on the opportunity and making them motivated, making them feel motivated and helping them to think, how, how do you present this to the French when they come in? Let's think about how we're going to position it and things like that. So I think the bottom line is... No matter what what you're doing, you're selling somebody. You know, even if you're a doctor, you're selling your skills to your patients, and you know, so sales to me is the heart and soul of 
life. <laughs> so you were 25 years old, getting a divorce and changing jobs. Right. Right. So this is a lot happening all at once. Right. I think this is probably very timely for young people who are listening to you right now. Um, what gave you that, I guess, drive or confidence to say, oh, let me just try something new. Let me just go take this job when everything else in your life is a little more complicated. Oh, you know, I've always leaped first and then looked second. I mean, I just, that's what I do. I, I'm, you know, one of my, I guess my strengths or weakness depends on how you look at it. I'm completely fearless and just jump into things and just have a lot of confidence. And you know what, if you just figure it out, you'll do it. You know, mm-hmm. like, can you ride a horse? Absolutely. You know, <laughs> and no, I cannot ride a horse uh-huh. today, but if I had to by Monday, I would. Why do you think you're so fearless? I don't know. You know, I really, I really don't know. I, you know, I, I have uh, five brothers and sisters and we're all different. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody else has the, um, I don't know, I guess my sisters and brothers would say I have an attitude, but um, <laughs> I would say it's confidence. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't know. I just feel that, you know, we all are responsible for ourselves and we can do whatever we set our minds to. There is no such thing as, I don't know how to do it. I mean, obviously I wouldn't attempt brain surgery, but mm-hmm. um, just about anything else. I think if you put your mind to it and you want to do it and you, you look at people that are successful. I've had great mentors. Um, Tony Robbins was a big part of my life when I was an account executive and driving around all over the place. Uh Um, I used to put his tapes in the car and I would listen to him and, you know, he believes in himself. And I love to listen to these stories where people, you know, were homeless and they lived in their car and, you know, now they're a famous chef or, you know, you listen to their stories and you realize it's just about putting one foot in front of the other, not worrying about what if, because what if you fail? So what? Get up and start all over again, you know? Right. And sometimes failure creates a new opportunity because if something's not working and you realize, oh my God, I shouldn't have done that. Let's say you open Sephora and you shouldn't have right. or something like that and you're not succeeding. Okay, how do I succeed here? And maybe you're completely changing your business model or doing something very different and it turns out to be a great success. It's so interesting that you talk about, um, you know, moving forward and moving through things so freely because, um, I mean, in running my business for 10 years, I've really noticed that I come to these walls, these obstacles, where it's like, I'm afraid of financial insecurity. I'm afraid of um, just being uncomfortable sometimes. I'm afraid of not knowing the right answer, never been in this territory before. And I like, I constantly get like, you know, butt up against a wall. And then I have to like, figure out how am I going to move through it? And it's not easy. Like, it's not like me moving freely through or across the wall or behind the wall. It's like, I really have to study it and think about it because I am, you know, I do suffer from this like kind of fear that holds me back. Mm. Um, And it's getting better and better. I'm starting to realize that like, you know, life is short, just try new things and all that stuff. But um, it's taken me like, you know, 10 of the 10 years (laughs) to get there. Um, And I admire you for being able to just like move through things and not worry. I think worry ages us, right? Right. Well, you know, that I think um, one of my um, weaknesses or could be considered a strength, I don't really think I do it. (laughs) Uh And then I think about it later. I follow my heart and my instincts. Mm -hmm. And I'm married to a man who's brilliant and very you know, educated and he thinks things through and he'll be thinking and he said, well, and I always say to him, well, well, you are thinking, I'm going to go do that and then I'll be back. (laughs) And he's learning now to stop not thinking so much because when you over, when you start thinking, then you just automatically think about, okay, let me think about all the things. Let me think about the pros and let me think about the cons. And all of a sudden you have this list of cons 
you know, it's like having a child. Like if you ever really think about it, you would never have a child because, well, what if they get sick? And what mm-hmm. if they, I can't afford to send them to college? And, and, and then what if they, you know, the, the, the school calls me in the middle of the day and I'm in a meeting. And if you really think about all the things that could go wrong and do go wrong when you have a child, you would never have a child. Right. right. <laughs> so, so that's how I kind of run my life. I just, if it feels right. It is right. Right. I like to free myself from worry. I mean, it's definitely releasing some of it, but um, I think that it comes down to a perfectionist tendency. Right. Really trying to unravel it. And I am slowly unraveling it. I'm like, okay, you know, there's like clients that aren't the right match for us. It doesn't work out. Okay. You know, it's just the way it is. There's projects that go left when they should go right. Okay. You know, I'm trying to unravel it, but it's taking time. Right. I think it's also about having a vision, not not that, you know, okay, I want to be the CEO of the world, but more like, um, well, of course I'm going to be successful, you know, and you just kind of put yourself in that position. And somebody once said to me, um, he actually, it was a guy that used to be the CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi, and he said that, um, he asked me where I saw myself in five years, and I thought, okay, that's a typical question. Right. And he said, no, 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 I don't, mean, I don't mean what job do you have. What are you wearing? Are you wearing high heels? Are you, are you in a convertible? Are you driving along the Riviera? Where are you? And I said, I'm in an office in all glass with high heels with 20 people working for me. Mm-hmm. And he said, and that's the vision you keep in your head. Mm-hmm. And then you will get there. Yes. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Because um, now I'm in a yacht in the south of France somewhere, so in my five-year plan. <laughs> I think in five-year plan for me, um, I'm working less and making more <laughs> and um, not apologizing for it. Um, and you know, I just have more rhythm in my weeks to like have like my gym days, easier days, and then my city days and then my at home working days, you know, just having a little, a little bit more of an, an, um, a flow of not like all work all the time. Right. You know, I think that's, you know, you, you laugh at that. Like you think you're, you're working less. The truth is the higher up you go. The more people will pay you for your thinking, not right. for your doing. Right. So the higher up you go, the less you do, yes. but the more thinking. And in a way, you're always working because, you know, you're in the shower or you wash it. Right. I do a lot of thinking, apparently, when I'm blow drying my hair oh. because all of a sudden I put down the blow dryer and I go, oh, my God. And I go right down whatever I'm thinking. Um, so apparently that's my good thinking time. But... Um, People pay you for your mind now because you get more and more experience and you see things differently, and that's why they want to work with you. They don't need you to do things. They need you right. to help them think it through. So you're right. In that five years, you will be, you'll have more free time because while you're taking picking up your kids at school, you'll be thinking about different right. things. Right. I want to like manage my time more. I feel like the past ten years, I've given myself time for like being a mom, growing the business, you know, growing stuff in my garden. I definitely give myself time for all that, but. Um, not like in an organized way. It's sort of haphazard mm. and um, I want less stress. I want more joy. So I think, um, you know, taking Fridays off, you know, right. after 10 years, I feel like I should just be just be doing it. And right. I started to do it this summer. Um, and most Fridays I really am not working. There's some where I'm doing a few calls, but um, just giving these little gifts back to myself of like, it's okay. Like things move on. They, they right. continue on without me um, to find find that pace and that joy that I'm looking for. So Tony Robbins would say that all stress is caused by fear. Yeah, so I get it. And once you remove that fear, like, okay, what what could go wrong? Well, well, you own your business, so you're not going to get fired. But what could go wrong? Well, I'm going to get fired. So I'll find something else. Right. What could go wrong? I'll I'll lose a paycheck. Well, you know what? I'll I'll save up. I have a few dollars saved up. I'll use that. You know, so you always think about what's the worst thing that can happen. And once you 
okay, I can survive that, then you become more fearless. Yes. I'm um, focusing on um, grateful. Like I have, I'm healthy. Right. My family's healthy. We have a, a warm home in the winter and a cool home in the summer and lots of fun together. And, and, you, and you're cute. <laughs> thank you. Coming from someone who's adorable. Um, okay. So this is not the only thing that you're doing is running this brand in the U.S. You are doing other things. No. It, uh, well, I'm helping, um, a, you know, a woman an executive recruiter. I'm helping her now in the beauty space because she's in the fashion space. And that I find incredibly exciting because I do that anyway. Mm -hmm. And now to do it professionally, it's really exciting. And um, she's a dynamic, exciting woman. And I know a lot of people in the beauty business. She knows a lot of people in the fashion business. And I think that you know, I think beauty people, particularly because that's what who I know, have a tendency to take tro- contro- control and see it through. Like we not only put it into the okay. store, we make sure it's sold, we make sure it looks good, uh-huh. we make sure you know the people are right to sell it. So you kind of take it from zero to a hundred. And I think that that personality can fit into many different businesses. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm excited to be working with her. And then I'm working with um, our subscription box company, which is really focused on millennials. And mm-hmm. everybody in the team is like 22. <laughs> and they're teaching me so much about social media. Mm-hmm. And I met this influencer the other day. She was 16. And she quit school because she's so busy and she has so many clients and they're flying her all over the world. Oh my goodness. And I decided, you know, I want to get 70,000 followers too. Like, I wonder how I can do that. And so I'm thinking about... So she's like... Like the new version of a Disney star, right? Right, right so she's exactly. Not a, a Disney performer, actor, musician. She is an influencer. And yeah. She has a career that young. Yeah. And she's and she talks about her business, mm-hmm. like her business. And she said, oh, I can't possibly go to school. I don't have the time. So I'm homeschooling. And, you know, this vendor's flying her to California. This other vendor's flying her somewhere else. And, I mean, I just, you know, had to keep my mouth closed because I was just gaping at her. Like, she's adorable, but she's 16. Right. I mean... So it's just like um, being a performer. She, her parents right. have to go with her and travel. No, with her. I think she goes by herself. Actually, oh, really? yeah, wow. yeah. I was quite, quite taken back with her and very opinionated. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about it. Actually, if she were my daughter, I don't know how I'd feel about her being that cocky. Oh, at uh-huh. 16, and at what point do you hit the wall, and how long do you think these influences will continue to dominate the space, you know? Right. Well, let's talk about that. Um, and it wasn't on my list, but, you know, we might as well talk about influencers. Um, you know, I feel like we had many, many generations and decades of TV being the way that we communicate brands, right? Or face-to-face in a store, and everything's changed, and it's changed so quickly, and um, we got... Um, probably an email once or twice a week from um, publicists we don't know asking us to work on influencer programs with them. And um, we just sort of see this like frenetic, frenzied, like almost desperation around how to have brands be a part of this conversation. And um, it's kind of freaky to be on that side of it because we are the kind of the calm, cool, collective side of it. And we have people coming at us because they have demands on them from their bosses or their clients. Um, you know, where, where do you see this influencer thing going? What does it mean to you? Well, you know, yes to everything you just said. And yes, if you look at it from the outside in. But when you think about it, the truth is the customer hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. A woman still wants to know what shade of lipstick should I wear and how can I be prettier and how can I get the guy to ask me to marry him? Okay. I mean, that's the truth. And so I think while the messaging has changed a bit, you know, Mrs. Lauder used to say, telephone, television, tell a woman. Right. It hasn't really changed that much. Tell a woman is kind of word of mouth, right? It's the influencers. And finding those people to organically love your product, I think, is a challenge. You know, you could pay anybody, like a Kim Kardashian, 
you know, to pay her $10,000 and she'll tweet. I think customers are starting to see through that. Mm-hmm. I think organically having a woman believe in your product and she tells 10 of her friends is a lot healthier. So part of it is making sure you support brands that you believe in, yeah. that you really think are bringing a point of difference and they work. Um, and, and then part of it is trying to, you know, calm, as you said, being the calm person and, and try to really think it through and, and what's the fad and what's not the fad and how is this going to be sustainable. And just like, you know, makeup was trending double digits, now makeup's slowing down right. and skincare's coming mm-hmm. back. So you kind of have to have a constant in your life and just, you know, have core core values that, you know, can support. And, you know, you're running a business, so you probably do want the pops of, well, you know, false eyelashes are in for the next six weeks and let me and let me get behind that because I can help. You know, you do some of those Mm -hmm. and then you do some of the the basics, you know. So I think you have to make sure your portfolio has core brands that are sustainable. You know, it's kind of like in my fashion days, when we set up a department, we would do the first, you know, the four or five T stands in the front of the department with the purple and the and the bell bottom pants or whatever right. they had, and in the back with the basic T shirts and mm-hmm. black skirts, which is really the bulk of their business. But you always had to have that T stand to bring in the excitement. Right. So this is the same philosophy in the grocery store. Yeah, right? exactly. Put those eggs in the milk in the back. Make right. Walk through exactly right? the taco shells and the right whatever, the exactly barbecue sauce or whatever it is. Yeah. Um. So when it comes to um the influencer universe, we've been trying to um really pull together our point of view or like worldview on this stuff because we do have so many different types of clients coming to us for this. And like I said, there's this kind of like um, worry or fear kind of around it, like, cause they're not part of it. Are they part of it? How should they be part of it? Um, so we're playing together our best practices. And um, one of the things we've been thinking about, and that's sort of like been like kind of like hitting me in the gut recently is this frenzy around influencer makes me feel like we're forgetting about the person who actually pays for the product, right? Which is the exactly, customer. exactly right. So um, what we're trying to do, and I think it's going to take time is um, have this conversation around influencer at a much higher level, not at like the publicist level or the market, junior marketing manager level, but um, really at the CMO level and for some brand CEO level, which is like, if we're going to reach out to influencers, whether they're editors, you know, traditional print or digital, maybe they're, you know, really just makeup artists or hairstylists or whatever, just influencers like the 16 year old, um, if we're going to talk to them, we also have to include our customer in that conversation. So how do we talk to that loyal customer and how do we touch her and make her feel as special as we're making these influencers feel, right? Because she's the one who's going to be, buy the product. And if she's made to feel special, she's going to tell 25 of her friends right? because um, she this brand loves me, right? So I, I feel like we're, I, I know brands are working hard to talk to the customer in other ways, but I feel like with this whole influencer conversation, we're missing the most important influencer of all, which is a person who's using her money, right? Spending her money on our product right. and making um, her an advocate of the brand. So um, I don't know where that's going to go. We're really like just dipping our toe into those conversations, but I would love to see the thinking expand um, around these programs to really start thinking about the, the end user who's purchasing products. Right. I think a lot of that has to do with being with the customer where she is right. and talking to her. Yes. And, um, you know, a lot of these brilliant marketing people sit in their office and they try to tell you what the customer's doing. And I kind of smile to myself all the time because it's like, well, have you, have you met a customer lately? Have you been in the store? Have you watched her? Have you spoken to her? You know, because that's the key. There's a restaurant group, an example, of not knowing your customer. There's a restaurant group that recently eliminated tipping 
from right. their uh-huh. um, bill. So uh-huh. if you, your lunch costs, you know, lunch for two costs $50, you go to put the tip on, there's no place for it. Uh-huh. And you say, well, I want a tip. No, 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 there's no tip. And you kind of feel awkward as a customer, like, well, that's uncomfortable for me. And what this group is finding is that they're losing their staff. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I don't know the answer, but I do think it's because a waitress or a waiter gets valued by the tip you leave. And I think when you tip them, they feel satisfied. Like yeah. they feel, well, this is nice. I got recognition mm-hmm. from this customer because I treated her extra special. And when you take that way from anybody, the human condition, I mean, you just feel unappreciated and undervalued. Even though they gave the, the their employees a bit of a raise to compensate for no tipping, I think they lost something. And as a customer... I'm so used to tipping that I don't feel it's a bonus. Right. Like I don't feel, oh yay, I'm going to go to this restaurant group because they don't. I'm not tipping anymore. It kind of feels I'm annoyed that I'm not tipping because mm-hmm. I'm so used to tipping. Right. So there's an example of they don't really understand their customer. Right. Because the customer didn't care about the tipping. That's right. So they tried to create an, an experience for the customer that they felt was going to be of great value. And I've and I've spoken to a lot of people about this, and nobody likes no tipping because it's something we, we do. Right, and it's um, it's it's a language, right? right? It's part of the language of the service industry, which is thank you so much for greeting me warmly. Thank you so much for keeping this dressing on the side. Thank you so much right. for making me feel special because dining out it's it's not transactional; it's an experience, right? Um, not just transactional; it's an experience. Um, so it's like our it's our custom to say thank you in a warm way, whatever right. way we choose to do it. And especially at this group that I, I know what you're talking about, I mean, these are these are customers who have money to tip. Right. right? This is not right. um, this is not fast food. Right. It's, it's, and I almost try to give the greater money anyway. And right. he goes, no, 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 I'm not allowed to take it. <laughs> it's like, should I go buy him a gift? Like, how can I thank him? You know, what, like what's your shoe size? Yeah, like, yeah, right. shoes? I always wish I had product in my bag that I could just hand him something. Well, here, try the skincare and you'll oh, like that's it. So interesting. It could be a trade. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned um, knowing the customer and you mentioned the word store. So if we can just shift gears a little bit and talk about what it's like to be in an actual brick and mortar store these days selling beauty. Um, I've been in some. I actually don't shop a lot in stores anymore and it's been like this for some time. I don't think anyone does. (laughs) I think it changed for me with Fresh Direct you know, God bless them and diapers.com. You're right. So this was like a 10 years ago is having kids all of a sudden shopping for diapers and body wash for the baby and all that stuff became easy. Fresh truck became easy. And um, I really haven't looked back since Um, going to stores feels like a drag for me. Um, I appreciate brands who want me to be a a digital customer, you know, that um, shower me with love for being a digital customer. But um, I don't think stores are going away. We still need places to um, come together as a community, experience things. It's going to come back. Yeah, there's like nothing like experiencing beauty firsthand. It's like a magic show. So, um, but I've been in a bunch of stores and they're empty. Right. Um, So I wanted to hear your thoughts on what it's like to be, uh, well, what you think beauty brick and mortar retailers can do. You know, I, I wish I had the answer to that one, but, um, you know, I've given this a lot of thought, but I just, when you were talking, it just made me think of something because you were talking about Fresh Direct and I was thinking, well, we should do Beauty Direct. And I thought, oh wait, there is Beauty Direct like Avon, right? Well, why isn't Avon working if everything else direct to your home is working right. like Glam Squad? And, you know, I mean, is, I think Avon is the problem, is the product, you know, mm-hmm. but I think maybe if it was, you know, Chanel to your door, right. you know, it might be a little different. I don't know. Anyway, I was just thinking about that. 
um, I think people like customize, they like service. I think that they'll many times go into a Neiman's or a Saks and try products and then replenish it either online right. or in a Sephora. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the, the customer wants it when she wants it, wherever it is. And I think the stores are, you know, I don't think there is an answer. Like I can't say like, okay, Neiman should just do this. Right. I think services are important. I think stores like Cosbar and Blue Mercury mm-hmm. are the future because it's a specialized store. You get to know the person behind the counter and, you know, not even behind the counter. In the store, most of the people that work in a beauty, um, Blue Mercury or a Cosbar are, I want to use the word old, but I don't mean it literally, they're former mm-hmm. beauty advisors for the Chanel's of the world right. or the Estee Lauder's of the world. So they're, they're you know, they're ex- experienced people and they think of Cosbar or Blue Mercury as their home now. Mm-hmm. So there's not as much turnover. Right. And if I lived in a, in a neighborhood and I wasn't in the cosmetic industry, I would just run into a Cosbar and pick up my stuff because they're editing the brand for right. me. I don't have to think about what's new. If I were a beauty junkie, I'd go into a Sephora to play, right. you know, so you have that experience. I also think that if you look at Saks now, they, they've put in an apothecary and it's fast growing. I think the customer has now seen through going into a Saks or, or a Neiman's and going to the La Prix or the Chanel counter or any of the name brands, knowing that that beauty bar is going to sell them everything from that right. brand. And I don't think any of us use one thing. I mean, if you look in my cosmetic case, it's a mixture of, you know, Hourglass and, and Yves Saint Laurent and and, you know, Tarte and, you know, Little Lipstick Queen, you know, right. a lot of brands. So I don't want to go to one counter anymore. I want to know what's... Mm-hmm. So I think Cosbar and, and Blue Mercury support that kind of... And Sephora support right. that kind of um, thinking. Right. So shopping across brands is certainly um, a defining change right. for our industry. Um, because even if you do buy everything at, say, the Lancome counter that, that that's sold to you, you know you know you're not going to use all of it. It's just sort of part of the intoxication of right. shopping. Um, you're buying it, you're believing in it for a minute, but you leave the store and you know you know right. <laughs> probably not going to use right. that product. Um, and um, the idea of you know Saks or other um, larger footprint stores bringing in smaller brands that don't have um, glass cases and um, you know, defined employees behind those glass cases. Um, it's interesting, but I don't know that it's enough. You know, I'm I'm not convinced that just diversifying the product mix is enough. Well, to get uh, you know, I there. think I think that the brands hold so much power in the con- having the feeling that they're controlling the, mm-hmm. the customer. I, I think it's almost laughable having come out of big companies and now you look at them and you just kind of smile to yourself because. Why can't I go on L'Oreal website or Estee Lauder website and go across brands, go to a Mac and buy lipstick, then hit another button and go to Bobby Brown and buy right. a, a blush? I can't. I yeah. have to sign out of Mac. Yeah. Then I have to sign into Bobby Brown. So they're almost stifling the shopping experience in right. a way. And I think, you know, in the brain, oh, no, we'd never do that, you know, because we don't want to encourage that. But the customer's already doing it. So. Right. She's doing it at Ulta. Yeah. She's doing it at Sephora. Right. She's doing it. In all and she's doing it at Saks. I mean, right. she's going from one counter to the other. But the brands don't want to release that feeling because, they, it, you know, they feel that they're controlling the shopping experience, which is the biggest problem. You know, I never I never thought of this until this moment, until you said it, that like Lauder has the opportunity to talk to me the way that I want to be spoken to and saying that we are a family of brands and we know you're, you're a beauty, ch- 
your beauty mood changes daily, right? Like my skincare needs change daily. Like one day I look great, the other day I look crazy. You know, my skin can be going nuts. Um, my lipstick needs change. Everything changes. Um, and they're not giving me the opportunity to be part of the family of lot right. of brands. Right. Or L'Oreal brands or whoever. Um, Cody brands. We can right. go on and right. on. All of them. Yeah, all of them. Um, and this is sort of like <laughs> light bulbs are going off in my head right now that this is a huge opportunity. Have you spoken to anybody yet? Oh, well, yes. About uh, it? Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the brands are very protective. You know, mm-hmm. no, no, no. We're Mac. We don't really talk to Bobby. And, right. You know, L'Oreal doesn't, Lancome doesn't talk to, you know, L'Oreal and the, and the drugstore. So... No, they don't. And I and to me it's such an easy fix. It's just a welcoming thing. The customer would go, thank God. You know? Right. I mean, I, I if I'm trying to put myself in like a regular customer's shoes, which I you know, I have to remove my every right, day me right, too. to do that. Um I think I'd probably feel really good if I thought I was being embraced by the lot of brands, like the right. lot of family of brands, right? Because it is a family right. you know, business anyway. Right. Um, or in L'Oreal or, you know, pick one. Um, I'd probably feel very special if I thought they were talking to me as a family of brands right. that, you know, heritage brands, then there's new brands, there's right. funky brands, there's conservative brands. Um, and talking to me, maybe not, maybe, maybe e-com is too hard for them and too scary, but maybe if they were just talking to me. Well, they have right? chats. I mean, imagine if you, if you wrote to an Estee Lauder site and said, you know, I've, my skin feels very dry today. Well, you know, why don't you try this product from Estee Lauder? And Bobby Brown has this other thing that you can put on top of it. Or, I mean, I think you'd feel like, oh, wow, this is great. I'm getting incredible advice from a very experienced source and right. I trust this. That's right. And I wouldn't feel like I'm being pushed the whole regimen, right? right? Which is like, um, yeah, I had a friend when we were in our 20s, we went on a cruise for spring break and she is um, such a skeptic in every way of her life. But she went into the spa and she had a facial and that esthetician sold her like 15 products and my friend who's such a skeptic it would never buy anything from anybody she couldn't be sold was like okay I'll buy all 15 things but she left there knowing like this is all junk and I can't believe I did this to myself and I spent all my money right we're in college we don't have money for this she spent all of her money on this regimen that she was sold to Pe- people see through that like you said so imagine being able to be like well you know what I think this bobby lipstick would be great for you because you have really dry right. lips and this is a really nourishing formula right. or stay put or whatever um, and then moving me to another brand you know maybe you know Rodin or whatever for right. some other need. Right, exactly. I would feel less, um, it would feel less, you know. Right, and you, and you trust it. You trust it more than you trust, you know, going into a Sephora where you have a, a beauty advisor who, you know, just started last week. You know, I mean, I would trust it more if I went to a, a heritage site like that and I got that kind of advice. Right, I mean, it makes me think, oh, wait, Lauder has the opportunity to have a, their own cause bar. Yeah, of right? course. They could have done uh, this. Online. Right? Yes, online. Right? Or they could have done a brick and mortar in like right. 15 great shopping destinations. Well, I think country. I think they do have the Estee Lauder store in these, you know, outlet malls and things, okay. but I think it's not the same. Imagine if you were given your own concierge at Lauder. Like, right. you know, Susie's my beauty advisor uh-huh. and she's going to recommend all the different products to me with, of course, the different companies. I would have no need to go anyplace else. That's right. That's right. Oh, my God. I love this. I mean, like my... <laughs> yeah, um, we're revolutionizing the industry, Jody. <laughs> right now on right. this podcast. This is amazing. This is history making. Well, you know, one of the benefits of having worked for these fabulous companies, and I give my... I, you know, it was 15 years at Estee Lauder, and to me, that's my Harvard education. And now being outside of it, I get to see as a customer and also as a, an industry person has exposure to these small brands, and you realize the positive impact and the reputation Estee Lauder has. But to me, they're not leveraging it. 
the way mm-hmm. they need to because the customer so trusts them. Right. And there are so many brands within the Esther Loda house that there's something for everyone for every mood of your day, whether it's, you know, Too Faced or Bobby or Mac or, you know, Creme de la Mer. I mean, there's something for everyone. Right. And it depends on your mood and your needs. And, you know, my, you know, you could say, like, my daughter has bad skin. Now, what should I use? And, you know, you get a you get a, an educated response. And right. sorry, Maggie, you're having this problem. I know how it is. You know, we have kids, too. But, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And um, I just love the idea of personalizing the experience from a corporate level, right? In a way that's never been done before. This is a genius. Okay. But we we only have time for one last topic. And um, I I wanted to mention to you that when I first spent time with you, um, so we met at Women's Wear Daily, but then we spent time together over coffee. And... um, I was really struggling, like in my head, I, I felt like kind of messy. And this this happens from time to time. Maybe once a quarter, I get like a little mixed up, and you know, I'm, that's good. Uncomfortable I'm, means you're growing. Yeah, I'm like alone in my head all the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like really nice sometimes to spend time with someone who gets it. Um, and in that moment, I felt like you became my like guardian beauty angel. Like oh. you really helped me unravel my problem in like literally thirty seconds. Oh my God. Um, yeah, it was amazing. Like, and then I was able to like go from that meeting and be like, oh, okay, I get it, and move forward. I just I was in a I was in a hole, and you. Help me get out of that hole. Um, do you have this effect on people quite often? <laughs> um, uh, you know, I don't know. The red carpet always comes out. <laughs> I, I would, you know, I don't know. I, that's a, I, how can I answer that question? I like to think I have insight. Mm-hmm. I, I do like to think I have insight. And sometimes when you're not so close to a situation, you know, you have clarity. You know, if I could control the world, it would be a wonderful place. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I want to go fix Esther Lord and I want to go fix that one. And I, you know, <laughs> I have all these ideas. Yes. So, but I, I, you know, I I like to brainstorm and, and, you know, when I'm sitting in a Starbucks or whatever, I always think, okay, if I ran this place, what would I do and how would I change it? And, you know, I I could franchise this or I could do this or, you know, so I'm always thinking about business Mm -hmm. and how to take it to the next level and. I come up with these great businesses in my head, and right. then I then I get in a taxi and go someplace else. <laughs> but how, then, how, you know, um, like I said, I'm alone in my head a lot, which means there's a lot of ideas floating around, and similar to what you spoke about. How do you decide which lane to move forward with? Like, which one's gonna, which which idea are you gonna move forward with and try to make it happen? Well, I think you know you're running a business, so it's very different, and and you have to stay focused on your business. So you can't, if let's say let's say your your focus is prestige and you want to be prestige then don't go try to help Walmart, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, stay in your field, be an expert in what you're doing. And sometimes it means narrowing your your scope of clients. Right. I mean, if you have, let's say, clients in beauty, and then you have clients in fashion, you have mm-hmm. clients in shoes, and you have clients in technology, I mean, you can't be everything to everybody. Right. So you have to pick your core mm-hmm. and either farm out the other ones or find somebody else that can do that. Right. I think you're you're an A, an a player in, in with an A personality so you like to control from what I can gather mm-hmm. and sometimes but I can't control everything I know but sometimes learning to, learning to let go and letting your right. people do it mm-hmm. and to me that was the hardest thing I've ever done was I went from being an account executive to a field sales director and I had nine account executives under me and um, John Dempsey who was a, a great leader and mentor to me said to me Maggie you're a super duper account executive and I'm smiling, and he goes, "But I need you to. I need you to be a field sales director. You, you can't do their job for them. You have mm. to tell them. Like you have to say, well, there's a promotion coming up, Susie. Have you done this, this, and this? And then let them do it.' Right. He said, "You can't do everything." And I sat back and I realized, oh my God, they're not paying me to do; they're paying right. me to think. think. Mm-hmm. And it was a big shift. It's a much better job, though. 
Well, yes, once you figure out what it is, but mm-hmm. it was scary because I was so uncomfortable because I'm a, I was a doer right? and I like to do everything. And it was very hard to let go and trust that your people were doing it. Of course, then my nickname became, did you do it? Because, <laughs> okay, do this and do that. Did you do it? <laughs> and they said, well, you just told me 15 minutes ago. I said, well, you've had 15 minutes. Like, did you do it? So, right. um, so I laugh now. My nickname is, did you do it? But, um, so I guess I can be annoying. <laughs> well, I love it. Thank you, Maggie. It's been so incredible. To oh, it was so your fun. Wisdom and for you to share it all with us. Thank you so much. And now much. we have this like warpath to be on, which is evolving Lauder, L'Oreal, or whoever, <laughs> right. into different types of thinkers. <laughs> well, so we think about if you think about the customer first. Yeah, that's right. I love it. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.